Welcome to this Alan and Overy Brexit podcast. My name is Emma Danforth and I'm a senior associate in Alan and Overy's asset management group. With less than six weeks to go until the 29th of March and a hard Brexit seeming more likely by the day, in this episode we'll focus our attention on the trends and issues we are seeing amongst our asset management clients as they prepare for Brexit and the key jurisdictional issues to watch out for as a result of recent developments. Joining me today to discuss this topic are Paul Sampson, also a senior associate in our asset management group, and Sharon Gowdy, a senior associate from our affiliate business, Airsphere. Sharon works on the Rule Finder Market Restrictions Asset Management Service, which analyzes the law applicable to cross-border marketing of funds and asset management services. Thanks, Emma. Before we dive into the detail, let's take a few minutes to focus on what we are currently seeing as being some of the biggest issues for our clients. Most of our clients are fortunately able to leverage off their existing EU27 group entities, and those who don't are largely looking at Ireland and Luxembourg to set up new firms, with some looking at France, Germany and the Netherlands too. In both cases, their Brexit planning includes the delegation of at least some portfolio management and other services back to the UK. I think it's fair to say that the elephant in the room for most of our clients is that while they've got to a point where they're clear as to where the board and key function heads of their newly established entities need to be located, it's far less clear what the position is for others who are providing services on behalf of the relevant EU27 entity, particularly those providing front office functions. As we are now getting to the point where asset managers need to start to put in place clear protocols for how things will operate in practice, this level of detail really needs to be ironed out. That's definitely still a key issue, Emma. In reaching a position on this, the starting point for most clients is revisiting their original Brexit mapping of who is doing what and where and for whom, and what the key decisions are, and then taking a pragmatic and proportionate approach to ensure that there is sufficient front office substance in the newly established entity, so that those key decisions are being made in the jurisdiction of the newly established EU27 entity. Exactly. And tying into this pool, another concern we have seen clients trying to get comfortable with is the UK permanent establishment risk. This risk arises where they are seconding staff from their existing UK entity to their new EU27 entity, but want that person to do all or some of his or her role from the UK. To manage this risk, clients really need to clearly define what that individual can and can't do from the UK and put in place a process so that it's clear when that individual is performing activities on behalf of the existing UK entity and when it is performing activities on behalf of the new EU27 entity. Another area causing clients a bit of a headache is in relation to the MIFID activity of reception and transmission of orders, or RTO, or arranging as we call it in the UK. While clients are generally comfortable that teams in London can continue to perform portfolio management post a hard Brexit, subject to MOUs being in place, which we'll come on to later, it is more difficult to find a post-hard Brexit structure, which enables teams in London to continue to provide RTO services to EU27 entities from London. I agree. And I think the difficulty is that there isn't really a solution to this. While there is some flexibility when determining what actually amounts to RTO and therefore can't be provided by a UK FCA authorised firm following a hard Brexit, ultimately, for those activities which are pure RTO, it's difficult to find a structure that enables those to be formed from the UK following a hard Brexit. 
This then ties back into the first issue we discussed of who do you actually need on the ground in the jurisdiction of your newly established EU27 entity. So before we move on to some of the recent developments we are seeing, what about asset managers out there who, for whatever reason, haven't yet worked out what their Brexit planning is? Emma, what advice would you have for them? I think firstly, you're not alone. We've had quite a few clients, particularly with those with a limited presence in the EU27, who've only really started to focus on their Brexit planning in the last month or so. While it's now realistically too late to set up a new regulated entity in the EU27 before the 29th of March, there are still options available to help ensure they can continue to provide services across the EU27. Principally, this looks at relying upon third country exemptions, amending services to exclude regulated activities, and in some instances, routing services through other entities. That's right, Emma, and as we'll touch on later in the podcast, a further option is trying to rely upon the various transitional regimes announced by the regulators in the EU27 and the UK. By relying upon a combination of these options, we found that our clients have generally managed to find a way, at least in the interim, they could continue to run their businesses in the event of a hard Brexit. I just wonder, Paul, in the absence of the transitional regimes, which Emma has flagged, firms may find themselves navigating the use of third country exemptions in relation to investment services, which may be available in certain EEA states. For example, Germany, Belgium and Ireland have quite robust exemptions or in relation to funds for which the marketing passport will no longer be available, marketing in accordance with Article 42 national private placement regimes. It is worth highlighting that this is an unharmonised area, which depends on the regulatory rules of each member state. But this is something that we do have detailed data on in our marketing restriction service. I think that's right, Sharon. And having considered some of the issues we've seen our clients facing, should we move on to consider the impact on the asset management sector of some of the more recent Brexit developments? Emma, could you start by sharing with us an update on the negotiations of a Memorandum of Understanding, the MOU? Certainly. As a reminder, post-Brexit, the UK will be a third country. And if an EU27 fund manager wants to delegate portfolio management or risk management to a UK firm, there must be an MOU in place between the FCA and the regulator of the member state of that fund manager. Equally, as Sharon has just touched on, If a UK firm wants to rely upon the Article 42 private placement regime route for marketing funds into an EU27 jurisdiction, there similarly must be an MOU in place between that jurisdiction's regulator and the FCA. The majority of our clients have made their Brexit contingency plans on the assumption that these MOUs will be in place and that they can therefore 1. Delegate portfolio management or risk management from their EEA fund manager to their UK FCA regulated firm, and two, rely upon the Article 42 private placement regime. That's right, Emma, although it's probably worth mentioning that while generally the assumption in Brexit planning has been that the MOUs will be in place before the 29th of March, until recently there had been some nervousness about the lack of progress. However, at the end of January, a spokesperson for ESMA confirmed that the substance of the UK and EU Memorandum of Understanding had finally been agreed. Yes, Paul, but we haven't yet seen the wording of that MOU. And of course, a separate MOU needs to be signed by the FCA with the regulator of each of the EU27 member states. 
and there remains some scepticism as to whether all of these MOUs will be in place by exit day. The most important MOUs for the majority of our clients' Brexit planning are the MOUs between the FCA and each of the Luxembourg regulator, the CSSF, and the Irish regulator, the CBI. But helpfully, we do have some further comfort there. In its press release on the 25th of January, the CSSF confirmed that it is using endeavours to ensure that the cooperation agreement between the UK and Luxembourg will be in place with the FCA by the 29th of March. Equally, in late January, the Deputy Governor of the Irish Regulator said that it was reasonable for firms to plan on the basis that MOUs will be in place between the CBI and the FCA by Brexit deadline. So Sharon, while it seems likely that the MOUs will be in place between the FCA and each of the CSSF and CBI, this is an area which our clients really ought to be following developments closely in to ensure that in the jurisdictions where they need an MOU in place, there is one by the 29th of March. Exactly, Emma. And whilst we would be concerned that not all of the MOUs with the regulators will be in place by the 29th of March, we are starting to see some movement from other regulators too. For example, more recently, the Liechtenstein regulator has announced that it has agreed an MOU with the FCA. So this is all really positive news. We highlighted earlier that we are starting to hear more from regulators about transitional regimes. Emma, can you tell us a little more about this, please? Certainly. Unfortunately, I can't tell you that there's going to be a pan-European transitional regime. I think that's probably not on the cards anymore. However, regulators in certain jurisdictions are starting to issue guidance and statements in relation to transitional regimes for their specific jurisdiction. The key jurisdiction for many of our clients is Luxembourg, and to use that as an example, in Luxembourg there is currently a draft bill which provides for a 21-month transitional period that would apply to UK firms providing regulated services in Luxembourg, whether through a branch or on a cross-border basis. Yes, Emma, and the key point to note is that this only applies in relation to existing contractual relationships at the time of a hard Brexit. Any new or renewed contract concluded after exit day will benefit from the above exemption only to the extent that it presents a close link with the existing contractual relationship that existed at the time. So, for instance, life cycle events in relation to existing contracts that lead to the conclusion of a new contract should fall under this exemption. So while this is helpful for asset managers in that it permits them to continue to provide existing services and new related services in Luxembourg, the Luxembourg transitional regime doesn't actually provide a solution for UK firms wanting to provide services to new clients or unrelated services to existing clients during that transitional period. That's right, Paul. And another key point to note is that whereas the UK's temporary permission regime, the TPR, which we'll discuss a bit later, also applies to AFIMs and USIPs relying upon a marketing passport, the draft Luxembourg bill does not cover the marketing passport for AFIMs and USIPs. In fact, the CSSF notes in its correspondence that the marketing passport for AFIMs and USITs is a matter that would need to be addressed at the European level. Unless this position is clarified, following exit day and assuming MOUs are in place as we touched on earlier, such funds will need to use the Article 42 AFMD National Private Placement Route. Okay, so where are we with this? So if the draft Luxembourg Bill is adopted in its current form, UK USIP MANCOs and AFIMs will, during this transitional period, 
be allowed to continue to manage Luxembourg funds, but it remains uncertain as to whether they'll be able to market these funds. So while the Luxembourg TPR is definitely a step in the right direction, the bigger picture is that ultimately this is a draft bill. There is no clear time frame for the passing of this bill, or indeed whether it will be passed and if so, whether in its current form or with amendments. If passed in its current form, it provides the CSSF with a discretionary right to grant this transitional period, and there's been no guidance from the CSSF as to whether they would in fact exercise it, and if so, how they would exercise it. For example, would the CSSF apply a blanket transitional period to all firms that wish to benefit from this, like the UK is doing? Or would they select certain firms or groups of firms to benefit from it? Similarly, would the transitional period granted be for 21 months or would they choose a shorter term? So in summary, there's still an awful lot of unanswered questions there. And in light of how close we are to 29th of March, our advice to clients and what we're actually seeing our clients do in practice is to proceed with their current Brexit planning until there is greater certainty as to whether this is approved and how the CSSF will apply it. That gives us a helpful overview of Luxembourg, but what about the rest of the EU27? Sharon, could you tell us a little bit more? Yes, Paul. As Emma flagged earlier, we are beginning to see transitional regimes for UK firms and funds being introduced in some of the other EU27 member states on an incremental basis, albeit even those announced to date are at different stages of implementation. Some are in the very early stages, so the exact detail of how these will operate is not yet clear. It is therefore really important to follow the position in each EU27 member state to get the complete picture. Could you give us some examples of what you've been seeing? Absolutely. So let's take Ireland. The Central Bank of Ireland makes it clear in the Brexit FAQs that it would welcome a transitional period, but that this remains subject to political negotiation. It therefore hasn't announced details of any specific transitional regime to date. By comparison, the Italian Ministry of Economy and Finance has recently proposed that in the event of a hard Brexit, Italy should provide for a 21-month transition period during which UK firms, including UK AFIMs, should be able to continue providing services in Italy based on the rules currently applicable to them. And again, a similar story in the Netherlands, the Dutch Minister of Finance is proposing extending its existing Article 10 exemption, which would exempt FCA authorised MIFID firms for a period of 21 months if they exclusively provide investment services to per se professional clients or deal on their own account. But the one point to note with this and the one point of difference is that this exemption does not extend to AFIMs or USIP management companies. So Sharon, I think what your summary really illustrates is that one of the biggest challenges for clients is going to be keeping on top of all of these developments between now and the 29th of March and potentially beyond, I suppose, if there's an extension of the Article 50. This is quite a lot to do on top of all of clients' implementation work. It really is, Emma. Um, At Aosphere, we do closely monitor and track Brexit developments, and we will continue to keep our subscribers up to date via our dedicated email alerting service. Thanks, Sharon. That covers the position in relation to UK asset managers wanting to continue to provide services into the EU27. 
But what about EU27 asset managers wanting to provide services into the UK? Yes, Paul, good question. Um, As most of you will be aware, in the event of a no-deal Brexit, EU27 asset managers, whether they be MIFID firms, AFIMs or USIP management companies, will lose their right to conduct activities in the UK under branch or cross-border service passports by virtue of the UK becoming a third country firm. In response to this, the UK is establishing a temporary permissions regime the TPR, which Emma referred to previously, which will allow EU27 based firms currently passporting into the UK to continue new and existing regulated business within the scope of their current permissions in the UK for a limited period whilst they seek full FCA authorisation. It will also allow EEA domiciled AFIMs and USITs that market their products to UK based investors under a passport to continue temporarily marketing into the UK. So in effect, the approach of the UK is that business continues as normal during the UK TPR, whereas the approach of Luxembourg that we considered earlier is that existing client relationships continue as normal. Exactly, Paul. So the weakness in the Luxembourg regime is that it does not cover the provision of services from UK MIFID firms to new clients. One of the issues we are seeing clients grapple with is the fact that this transitional period in the UK doesn't simply operate as a fixed three-year transitional period. Instead, the FCA intends to give firms and funds relying upon the regime a three-month landing slot to submit their application to become an authorised firm or, where a fund, a recognised overseas scheme under Section 272 of FISMA. This landing slot could be as soon as autumn 2019, meaning in practice, this transitional period could be much shorter than three years for some clients. For most clients, it makes a lot of sense to rely upon this regime to buy a little more time. However, given the uncertainty of the last two years, lots of our clients really want to get into position where they have some certainty and are therefore taking the view that they'd rather just implement their hard Brexit plans now so that everything is done in one go. Yes, Paul, another interesting thing to note is that it seems that a period of 21 months, taking us to the 1st of January 2021, may be the length of the transitional period that EU27 regulators are proposing. This is slightly shorter than the three-year period under the UK TPR, but doesn't have the landing slot risk that potentially shortens the UK regime. Thanks, Sharon. As a reminder for those who do want to use the UK TPR, The window opened on the 7th of January and closes at the end of 28th of March, a day before exit day, and is a simple notification through the FCA's Connect system. There is no fee payable for notifying. Even if you aren't 100% sure, if you think that you may use this regime, we'd recommend notifying the FCA as soon as possible, as if you fail to make a notification in this window, you simply won't be able to use the UK TPR. I'd also flag that firms relying upon the UK's TPRs should check whether there are any additional requirements from their home state regulator. For instance, the Luxembourg regulator, the CSSF, announced in its press release on the 25th of January 2019 that Luxembourg investment funds and firms are required to inform the CSSF of any notifications made to the FCA under the TPR upon submitting the notification and without further delay. And that brings us to the end of this Brexit podcast. Thank you, Paul and Sharon. For those who would like to find out more about the changes that Brexit will drive for asset managers, 
please go to the Al Ovary Brexit Law website where further material can be found. Also, to find out more about Airsphere's Rule Finder Marketing Restrictions Asset Management Service, please go to airsphere.com for further information and to arrange a free trial.